All your base are belong to us. Welcome to Fake Geek Girls, a podcast looking at nerdy pop culture from both a fan and critical perspective, encouraging the things we love to do better. I'm Missy. I'm a writer. And I had something I was going to say here, and I have forgotten it. I watched a lot of silly movies this week. That's what I also watched Midsommar, but we don't need to talk about that because we did a whole episode on it. It's still good. It's still good. I'm Mary. I'm a marketer. And um, this week, you will get to hear about one of my spicy books because it was so good. Good. Um... I can go first. Yeah, you have more. I have more, but you also watched this one. This is true. Uh, We watched Fire Island, which is the new movie on Hulu that is gay Pride and Prejudice. I didn't know it was Pride and Prejudice until we started watching it and Missy mentioned something. I was like, yes. It's, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So this is a movie. It's set in modern times and it is about a group of young gay men who go to Fire Island, which is sort of like a resort. I don't know if it's like always like this. I don't know anything about the real Fire Island, Um, but it's like a a resort island in uh, in New York um, that has like sort of a gay retreat thing, lots of parties and that kind of thing. Um, So this group of young gay men who are also poor um, go to Fire Island for their um, their their big excursion i don't know what a big gay day out yeah (laughs) like skins yeah um so they they go and they stay there with uh their friend um played by margaret cho who owns a house on fire island only to find out yeah only to find out that she's going to be losing the house um and while they're there they meet this group of other gay men who are like super rich and snobby um and the basic premise is that the main character who i've watched this now two weeks ago so i thought you were gonna say like multiple times and i was like wow no i watched it two weeks ago so i can't remember every character's name but the main character the the lizzie bennett who his name is not lizzie bennett but the lizzie bennett of the movie um his best friend played by bowen yang um wants who's great who wants he really wants to be like in a relationship but like he because of like dating preferences in the queer community, he's not like a hot commodity. He's not preferenced. Yeah, he like, even though he's so cute, he's so cute. There's like a there's like a common like no fats, no femmes, no Asians, cool. um, or insert other race there. Um, and Bowen Yang is like a like a sturdy dude. I don't. I I get the word fat is so strange to apply in different contexts because like he just looks. St- sturdy <laughs> you know what i mean yes <laughs> stocky yeah he's like he has a stocky build but not as a way to not say fat right yeah no like just his build to me looks stocky it's not like he he'd be a good cuddle yeah i don't know it's hard to explain anyway people's bodies aside he's not a hot commodity he ain't got no six pack yeah in this he's not a hot commodity so he has had trouble finding relationships and so his best friend decides okay i'm not gonna hook up with anybody here until we get you to hook up with somebody therefore bringing the um the sexual tension of pride and prejudice into the modern like the modern setting um because naturally he uh the main character ends up finding this asshole dude <laughs> whose name is will and it is short for i believe fitzwilliam um he ends up finding this asshole uh and they like 
get into it with each other, especially because like they're both the only people here that like seem to be there in some ways to read books. <laughs> and so they like bond over that, but they also hate each other over it. It's wonderful. Yeah, they fight so over good. it. Um all of this goes on and it's Pride and Prejudice. Like it plays out. It's so good. They even got the rain scene. Yeah, it plays out a lot. Like I think it's a really wonderful modernization of Pride and, Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> because <laughs> it manages to modernize the theme. So like one of the major issues in uh, Pride and Prejudice, like the original one, is everything having to do with, is, this, is it Wickham? I forgot now. The soldier anyway, right? Yeah, I think it's Wickham. The soldier who's like this like, he seems like this super nice guy. And then he tells, I think he tells Lizzie like, oh, Darcy really fucked me over for no reason at all. Except he says it in Regency era <laughs> terminology. He doesn't say fucked me over. Um, and, uh, and it seems like Darcy's the bad guy. And they have that in this story too, where it's just like, oh my God, Darcy's just like this slut shaming asshole. Like what the fuck? He's a swerf. He says, uh, he literally says uh, he's not cute enough he, about, about um, what's the other guy. The mean guy says about the good guy. Yeah. Um, he's not cute enough to be that annoying or something. Like yeah. That. Like, yeah. Just absolute dick. Yeah. And with Wickham, uh, He's not named Wickham. Um, he this that version of the character. He said he basically says that he told everybody about my OnlyFans and he like publicly shamed me because of it. Um, now because this is Pride and Prejudice, it's revealed later on that that's not quite what happened. But it's a really good modernization mm -hmm. of the conflict that um, that existed it in the Regency just era. A really good. Yeah, it was. It was really, really good. I liked it a lot, and I really liked like the elements of like queer history that were baked into the story. Um, I liked that it didn't like flinch away from depicting like the queer community as it is. It wasn't trying to be like fluffy, happy, like not we all love each other, um, because it's not. It's simply not true. Um, and yeah, overall, I really, really liked it. I thought it was really well done. I really liked it, yeah. Um, I hope the director does more, like more films and like more feature films because I think this was uh, his first feature film. Really? It was so good. I think it was his first feature film. I'm not 100% positive, but... So good. Um, yeah, I really, really liked it. I thought it was super well done. If you like Pride and Prejudice and you want to see like a really good modernization it's of it, you. it's great. Um. And yeah, the stuff about queer history and about like the realities of like relationships among queer people and like what queer life looks like, I think was so um, was so interesting and so like important because a lot of people don't just like don't know. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know a lot of it. And that's something I really appreciate. I mean, I didn't either. I'm not a, I'm not a gay man. Yeah. So like I appreciated watching it with our friend Bailey because he. Bailey did know a lot of that history yeah. and like so much stuff I wouldn't have even like thought that meant something and Bailey's like oh yeah this means that and that means and like just giving me like I felt like I had a history lesson which I love history but <laughs> uh, I watching it with Bailey enhanced the viewing for me because I learned a lot and it gave me so much more context yeah like it's one of the one of the parties just looked like a party but turns out it's a very specific type of party <laughs> yeah um yeah, so I, I really, really liked it. I thought it was really well done. It was a lot of fun. It was it was sexy. It was steamy. And it was informative. And like, what more can you want from a movie? Yeah, good, good tension. Yeah. Oh, God, the tension. It so was so good. good. It was so good. So good. It's one of those movies where you're just smiling the whole time. Yeah, for real. And and like, 
I think having it was a lot of fun to have like recent because like I'm not familiar with the book of Pride and Prejudice. I haven't read it yet. Um, but having like recently within the last couple of years watched the movie, um, having being able like watching it and then trying to spot who was going to slot into which role was a lot of fun. It was very fun. Um, so, yeah, it was good. Yeah, I liked it. Um, I watched last night Crimes of the Future, which is the new Cronenberg. Is that his yeah, name? Yeah, it's David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg movie. Marcel the Shell Shoes. <laughs> I might have cut this from the final episode, but the context here is that Mary asked me, have you seen the trailer for that new A24 movie? I thought it was A24. It's not. Yeah, it's not. And I was like, I said Marcel the shell with shoes on. And she's like, she's like, oh, I don't know. It's the body horror one. (laughs) I started laughing hysterically because that's not Marcel the shell with shoes on. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about it because Missy really wants to watch it but it's not like you know I love that fucked up shit it's not like I could talk much about it because I'm unsure what happened it takes place in the future and there are crimes and there are crimes uh, evolutionary crimes I guess you could say bodily crimes I suppose you could say humanity crimes (laughs) I guess you could say visual crimes you can say (laughs) it was so weird and I can't, I really think you're going to like it. I'm excited. I think you're going to like it. I guess people walked out of the movie and, um. What did you expect from a Cronenberg Well, movie? it was at Cannes. Cannes, yeah. Cannes, Cannes. Cannes. This is, uh, the film festival. People walked out of it. And honestly, I don't think it was that bad. Like, I feel like I've, I mean, my husband likes a lot of fucked up shit. Um, but I've seen worse. Yeah. I think watching Midsommar's. But where the faces get like bashed in is worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's. I think it's. I just thought it was really interesting, and I definitely need to watch it again because there. Are, I feel like there are two stories going on: the story of the world in which people are now living in, and then the actual story that they're telling. Um, and I think both are equally important. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I really did like it. I just don't know what happened. <laughs> I, I think I know what happens, but I'm not going to get into it because I, I want you to watch it with, yeah. with going in blind. Yeah. As much as you can. But yeah, I'm excited. I, it. I watched the this week. <laughs> my husband and I didn't have a great week this week for a variety of reasons. Uh, and so we just wanted to pull some silliness out of the movie jar. And boy, did the movie jar provide because the first movie we watched was Idle Hands. <laughs> which is a movie starring Devin Sawa. It's like a horror comedy. It's a horror stoner comedy specifically. I should be, I should be clear here. This is a horror stoner comedy um, about uh, Devin Sawa, whose hand becomes possessed and starts killing people. Um, It's, it wasn't a great movie, but it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable fun. Um, like he murders his two friends, one of whom is Seth Green. <laughs> um, and they come back to life because they're too lazy to go to the afterlife. <laughs> um, it has a lot of weird cameos like The Offspring. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've watched this a very long time ago. My husband had me watch it. Yeah. Has, he, he had me watch it when he found out I loved Devin Sawa when I was a kid. Oh my god, that's so funny. He looks like such a sleaze in yeah. this movie. Um, and he wants to get the main guy with the possessed hand wants to get with his hot neighbor, Jessica Alba, who plays the stupidest character I've ever seen in a movie. Just complete and utter head empty. Uh, she at one point has a single thought to save herself and that's it. The rest of the movie is just like, this girl has no brain. 
Um, it was not good, I would say. It was very silly. <laughs> if you want to watch a silly horror comedy, that one's there for you. It's kind of, it's pretty gross. Like there's a lot of uh, blood and guts and stuff. Um, a lot of hand related injury. Um, props to Devin Sawa for the physical comedy of acting with his hand, I would say. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about this movie. It wasn't very good, but I didn't hate watching it. It was just very, very, very silly. That's all I've got. I don't know what else to say about idle hands. Um, I watch, I cut gems, <laughs> which just feels like the very opposite of I cut gems. I cut gems. That I cut gems is the is the response to uncut gems. <laughs> Anyways, that one doesn't make sense if you don't know the joke. But I watched Uncut Gems. I actually watched this a while ago with Missy and some of our friends. Um, I forced it. Yeah, I would have never, ever watched. I don't like movies that make me feel really, like, melancholy. And a lot of times movies that look a certain way, even if they're not necessarily trying to get me, will make me feel that this, way. This was my resistance to watching Uncut Gems yeah, as well. Yeah, like... I was like, I don't think I'm going to like it. I think it's going to be depressing. The inside of the like the jewelry store specifically depresses <laughs> me. Like, it's just this like type of, I don't know. It was just it, difficult. But I'm really glad I watched it because it's actually really good. Mm -hmm. um, and extremely stressful. Uh, so the movie, you're going to have to help me because it's been a long time. Sure. It's about Adam Sandler. And he Adam Sandler playing the worst man you've ever seen in your life. The worst person you've ever seen in your life. And he... Um, gets this giant gem. Yeah, <laughs> it's an opal. The way, but just to to go backwards a little bit, the way I described this to our friend was essentially to say, "Forgive me, but there's a Hamilton lyric that's you ever see somebody ruin their own life, and that's my favorite kind of story." Yeah, and that was how I sold this movie because this is a movie about someone ruining their own life. Something I appreciate about it, the movie is that you could read this as like realistic or you can read this as the gem has literal like cursed powers yes and i chose to read it as cursed powers especially with how it's be like the beginning of it yeah really reminded me of the beginning of constantine mm -hmm. um and it begins like in some other country where they're mining these opals opals they're black they're looking for black opals which yeah. are rarer than yeah. regular opals and they find it and it's giant and then some people die and then he buys it like super sketchy and then a baseball a basketball guy comes in and is like i'm a basketball guy give it's me it's kevin shit what's James. his name no nah, that's a different person that's the mall James. cop, <laughs> the mall cop. <laughs> oh my god what is his name let me look it up um anyways he he's like i want it it's it's gonna get, bring me luck and he's like i don't know adam sandler character's like i don't know man he's like i'm a basketball player that's exactly how it goes down <laughs> uh, so he lets him borrow it and he like wins a bunch of stuff and he like won't give it back and then he what does he oh yeah he pawns the he pawns some stuff off Makes some bad makes some bad bets. Just he just digs in, like he digs himself a grave. Every bad decision you can make. There's clearly a gambling addiction going on, and just a bad choice addiction going on. And he needs the opal back so he can sell it for like what he thinks is like two million dollars, and something something outrageous. I, it was probably more than that, and just absolutely outrageous, and. A lot, a series of very bad things happened. It was Kevin Garnett. Garnett, yes. Um, 
Did they choose him because his last name is like a... I hope so. (laughs) Um, And in the end, he just keeps... Like, he doesn't learn his lesson and he keeps getting worse and worse. (laughs) Just, it's like, you can see it starts off like, okay, that was really stupid, but maybe it'll pay off for you. And then you think it pays off for him and then it doesn't. Yeah. And then in order to like recoup one loss... He try he goes for a higher risk and it just keeps going and going and you're watching this man just dig his own he's grave. He's bringing his family into yeah. it. Just absolutely. He's cheating on his wife, which who first of all would cheat on his wife? His wife is uh, it's Adina Menzel. Yeah, who's gorgeous. Second of all, who would have sex with him willingly? <laughs> Um, I'm not into Adam Sandler, but like I'm not gonna say like Adam Sandler is like gross, but his character his character is awful, just the worst. Absolutely, you know he smells disgusting, like not like dirty, but like the worst cologne. Yeah, that's like just really expensive, so he thinks it smells good, but it doesn't. Um, Towards the end, it just gets even more stressful to the point of Missy had to text me what happened. <laughs> Literally, like I think a mi- less than a minute. It before was like it did. thirty seconds before. It yeah, happened. but I was so stressed out. Um, but I didn't feel like a bad stressed out, which I really dislike. Um, so I was cool with it, and I thought the end was perfect. Actually, if this if this was a movie where you liked the main character, yeah. it would have a very different impact. But yeah. he sucks so bad. bad just it truly was the best case scenario for his family <laughs> yeah spoilers just, he's shot in the head yeah yep but he wins the bet and it looks like someone robbed his his um family or his jewelry so his family will probably get insurance money yeah um and take care of them because they are just trying to do their best yeah um but yeah, I liked it. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. That's how I felt because I thought I was going to hate it. But I ended up i I told my husband he could watch it while I was in the room, and I would tune if I, tune in if I found it interesting. And, and he did. Yeah, it it took me maybe maybe a half hour into the movie before I started watching. That's fair. And then I was like, okay, this isn't what I expected yeah. from it. Um, if you haven't heard the whole mean of Akka Joms, <laughs> I highly suggest go looking up, uh, what's her name? It's Julia, is it Julia, Julia Fox? Julia Fox. She was dating... Kanye West for a while. Well, she was dating Josh Safdie when the movie was made. Oh, I didn't and know she, that they were dating. I think so. Okay. And she was, she plays Adam, the woman that Adam Sandler is cheating on his wife with. Yeah. I will say justice for her and that everyone thought that Kanye West made her like wear these like weird fashion fashion outfits but she's always been wearing weird shit so uh yeah yeah she did an interview where i think she said she was like super high or something and they're like so she says they asked her about what is a muse what is a muse and she goes well i was josh safty's muse on on uncle joms it was on i think who's who's your daddy podcast which is terrible i don't know why you would want to be the muse for uncle joms I wouldn't want to walk around and be like, I inspired that also, movie. <laughs> I don't know how she would be. The, like, the movie isn't about her. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, um, I liked it. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed I it. I liked I Cut Jens. I Cut Jens. Um, uh, next in silly movies, I watched Father of the Bride. I love this movie. It's the original one with Steve Martin, Diane Keaton, and some other people. Those are the people. Oh, Martin Short was there. Um, in this movie, a... Uh, a young woman meets a man while studying abroad and then they get engaged really quickly and they come home and she tells her father and her father's like, hey, what the fuck? 
um, and then proceeds to do the kind of controlling father bit for a little bit. But then he ends up just like wanting to be supportive for the most part. He ends up like not hating the groom and blah, blah, blah. Um, I will say the thing is that this wedding rapidly balloons into ridiculous. It's great. Just I can't. It was so expensive. They were at $250 a plate for attendees, uh, which is equivalent to about $600 today. And they wanted like 500 guests. This is like a $300,000 wedding. That's gross. Yeah. Like it was outrageous. And so like, I don't approve of the dad's actions, but oh my God, something needed to be done. Someone stop her or make the, the, the uh, groom's family play c- pay because they were super rich. That's not tradition. I don't give a shit. It's the stupidest tradition. This is the- me, the person who got married in her backyard. <laughs> My parents paid for most of our wedding because they felt that that's what you had to do. It's just left over from fucking dowries. Exactly. It's disgusting. Um, it was out. It was outrage. It was an outrageous cost. Um, nobody, unless I guess you have that kind of money to throw around, should have that expensive of a wedding. But holy God, I can't imagine. Um. So he keeps trying to like stop it from happening, but it goes badly. He can't he can't stop it. And eventually um, things get like way out of control. And but when it comes down to it, he does what he can to make sure his daughter has the best day of his life or her life rather. Very cute, but very silly. Um, It was not. It's not a movie. Like, it was definitely, like, a feel-good movie. Like I want to watch the new one. I don't yeah. know why they remade it. It's a perfect... This it's is like, now the third remake. Is it really? The original is also a remake. Oh. The original. The Steve Martin version is a remake as well. Oh, oh no, I think I did know that. Um, from a movie in the 60s. It's some kind of unholy pact where every 30 years they have to remake Father of the Bride. Um, it was so good, though. It was cute. I wasn't, like, really wowed by it. Um, but... It was a cute, like, you know, family comedy. If you if you like the disgruntled dad genre, uh, this is a classic. Yeah. Without being like, go get my gun. Yeah, it wasn't that kind of. Um, it was more like my baby. I mean, if I mean, if he if he had been a different kind of father, he would have been like, go yeah. get my gun. But mostly he was he's, he's more like the I'm going to shoot hoops with my daughter kind of. Yeah. Kind of dad. Let's talk this out. Yeah. Although his like, sorry, I'm sorry, you guys, but that the demands for that wedding were fucking outrageous. <laughs> Just outrageous. You do not need all of that. The no. beginning of the outrageous wedding trends. Oh, God. It's awful. I just... The the kind of things... The amount of money that they were throwing at this, I was just, I was losing my mind. I, I would have been the father in this situation. I read the book Muscles and Monsters. I wouldn't normally talk about this book because it's a very smutty book. And I don't typically talk about the ridiculousness that I read. But this might have been the cutest book I have ever ever fucking read i'm so sad i enjoyed all the like smutty stuff in it but i'm really sad that it's a very like it's the tropes are like alpha like literally alpha because he is a wolf he's woven this is in this world don't fucking get me started (laughs) in this world studies are based on wolves in captivity it's not the same in this world the creatures have are now mingling with humans and they're like um trying to create this new world and the first wedding between a human and a non-human was happening. Um, The mayor's daughter was marrying a centaur and nice. um, (laughs) (laughs) This one girl, she owns a, she owns a cake shop and um, 
she's like she is i don't know if you call her plus size but she's definitely at least on the 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 larger size of midsize and she's confident in her body she's like yeah i have stretch marks like i'm i've made peace with my body i i like i like my body and but she's not very strong and so she's trying to take this cake and like it's huge cake her assistant called in sick and she is struggling and then this giant wolf comes up and is like hey do you need some help and he's really strong and so and then she drops the cake everywhere oh no and he's like he helps her pick it up and then you know they go inside he has he has frosting all over him and he starts like licking it off his claws and she's like oh no I'm attracted to this wolf man (laughs) and he's like if you ever need my help I own the gym down the road like just come ask me for help and they clearly like each other but they're very like shy and he's just like thinking about how cute she is and her cute freckles and her really good cake she gives him some cupcakes to thank him and she's like i really like this wolf man and it is so fucking adorable his best friend is um fuck what is it a eagle type guy like a griffin yeah he's a griffin and um there's just like the, the gym is all non-humans and then she goes and she's like I actually like maybe you can like teach me how to work out <laughs> and he does and then things get spicy they get really spicy uh this author who is I don't know if I said who the author uh, Ashley Bennett yeah Ashley Bennett she is admitted to come out of the omegaverse and if you don't know what that is I'm not going to explain it. you can google it <laughs> um so all that stuff is in there. There is like primal primal play and um it's like all that stuff is in there. Uh but it is also one of the cutest stories I've ever read. It's so cute and they like each other so much and they're just like he thinks she's the, the most adorable thing and every time she comes around his tail wags uncontrollably. Oh it's so funny. <laughs> um and he's like super rich, but he doesn't like the house he lives in because his ex-girlfriend made him buy it. And he just wants to live in a cottage. And then he ends up moving in with her and they expand the cottage so he can fit in it. <laughs> it was just really, really cute. And I and I definitely I loved it. I'm really sad, though, because the next book is about her brother. Her brother is a cop. And he I think the premise is he wants to do like a triathlon and he doesn't know how to swim. So he goes to the gym he also hates non-humans. Like he's like telling his sister, like, how could you do this? And she's like, how about you fuck off? I hate this premise. <laughs> and so he goes to the gym and I think uh, some, some water type creature helps him and then they get a romance, but he's a cop. So like, I don't really want to read it. And he's a bigot. And yeah, and he's a bigot. I don't want to read bigot romance. I I've, I mean, I'm not going to read this series. <laughs> I've seen some um, commentary, not on this book, but on other books with cops that are just like, um, too much of it feels too real and this is one of those situations where like i know that he's like in a world with creatures and this like siren i don't think it's just a siren she's some type of thing with probably tentacles and (laughs) um and he's like prejudicing it like that feels a little too real yeah so it's unfortunate i'm really sad but this book if you are okay with a lot of smut um and a specific brand of smut very specific brand of omegaverse type smut which is typically not my thing it's not something i read but i it was just all the all the reviews are like this is the cutest thing i've ever read this is so sweet like this is the sweetest her cakes it was just so and it really it was true it was so cute and i'm so sad about the other stuff because you would it would be such a good 
book for you, Missy. If it didn't, I know stuff. <laughs> I need the prude cut. Yeah, I need to like take it, take you off. get the loot cut. I get the prude cut. Yeah, um, yeah, because they're like in the end, there's like the full moon, and he, you know, he chases her through the woods. That's the primal part. Yeah. Um, I just can't just like to disclose for the audience. I just can't do like really dominant man stuff. It's mm, like a, it's a big turnoff for me. So it's I'm not a I, like not gonna you know yuck your yum or whatever. It's just a matter of like I personally it's 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 a preference. Yeah, it's a shutdown. For yeah, me. It's a, if it's I a, reach that point, I'm like no. Well, yeah. okay, that's not true because I did read the entire book that I'm not going to talk about on this podcast for. Oh, I will but talk that about was it on like the more spicy. for research. Yeah, that was me with a fucking like magnifying glass like what's happening here yeah i i obviously don't care about i like it yeah um it is for me um and if you like that stuff i highly it's a really quick read like i think i read it in a day and um it's just so sweet i want more like (sighs) this and um it's really i've tried to find more like this and i didn't didn't find more. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was good. And I'm upset about the next book. I have absolutely zero interest in reading that one. Bummer. Yeah. I watched, or no, I read uh, The Pagan's Guide to Anti-Capitalism. Um, typical. This is a very typical thing. Uh, this is a zine. Um, oh, shit. I didn't think to look up who did it. That's not even what it's called. Don't fucking <laughs> listen to me. It's called <laughs> A Pagan Anti-Capitalism Primer uh, by Ali Valkyrie and Reed Wildermuth. Um, and this is way heavier on the anti-capitalism than the pagan side of things. So if you are looking for like an introduction to... Um, to anti-capitalism, what it means, where it comes from, what the repercussions of capitalism are, and different ways to resist, like, in your daily life. Um, It was really informative. I really liked it. Um, I thought it was effective. The addition that I have, I think there was some kind of, like, error in terms of, like, porting it maybe to a new program because some of the punctuation got dropped and it was like consistent what punctuation got dropped so oh, at, t- at times it felt like maybe it got the font got changed and the font didn't have a character for this like uh, for formatting. like yeah it was like i think mostly m dashes were missing oh. um and they just weren't there which at times made it a little confusing but that was a it's more of a formatting error than like a grammatical error or whatever um but if you are interested in anti-capitalism and you want a like brief guide to it especially if you have any interest in paganism or witchy shit as i do um it's really informative mostly again from the anti-capitalist perspective um but it does have a really good reading list in the back if you want to learn more about these kinds of topics which i found really informative um and it's really accessible which a lot of anti-capitalist writing is not very accessible (laughs) um it could be quite difficult to read and can assume that you have read you know you've read marx you've read blah 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 you've read all these people and this doesn't make that assumption um and it's very practical and relevant to the average person's life um so if that sounds interesting to you i really liked it it was good um and it's it's a little zine you can probably read it in an hour maybe two um so yeah that's all I have to say about that. Um, last thing I have is I finished Obi-Wan, uh, or as I put in my outline, O-I-Wan. <laughs> um, Obi-Wan, which is a limited uh, series on, on Disney Plus about Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, in which 
to everyone's surprise and my delight is the story I thought it was going to be about him and Luke and I really fucking don't care for Luke. I know. Come at me. I don't give a shit. I think he's a whiny baby. Um, but in, in a good way. In a good way. It works for him. Um, but it's actually the story uh, somebody takes Leia. Actually, he's played by Flea from uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> <laughs> um, he gets these in a lot of stuff. Uh, takes Leia, young Leia. She's like probably like, I think she's 10 because I think it's 10 years later or somewhere around there after the um, uh, the ending of, uh, I can't remember what the last one's called, when Anakin goes evil and Padme dies from a broken heart. Um, and she gets captured and her father, what is his name? Not Bane. Bal- I think it's, anyways, her father is like, Obi-Wan, you're my only hope. <laughs> and you need to find leia and he's like i don't want to find leia like he works at a meat shop and lives in a cave like literally and um (laughs) my husband was telling me he was listening to a podcast where they're like obi-wan working at at like a meat shop doesn't feel very jedi to me and i'm like um he just spent years and years and years killing people in a war (laughs) so like don't (laughs) no (laughs) um and it's this adventure where he saves her and finds himself and we get um the inquisitors are in it if you've watched rebels you'll know the inquisitors are like evil people who help find people for darth vader and the evil people but we get a new one i can't remember her name but she's spectacular and she got a lot of racist hate um because she is black and um Lucasfilm took a pretty strong stance behind her. I think that they learned a lot from what happened with John Boyega. And so they took a very clear stance behind her. And um, so did, uh, what's his name, who plays Obi-Wan. And yeah, it was, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I, uh, Hayden Christensen is in it, which was spectacular. They tried to have this scene where they're both young again. I'm like, (laughs) They're not young again. <laughs> They're not young again. <laughs> we can tell. Um, and uh, yeah, so he just, he saves Leia. And then Leia's like, man, you're cool. But also, I'm a little brat. And I love it. I love young Leia. I think she's the best. She, I love her when she's a teenager. I love her when she is um, in the two books that she has. I love her. And this is no different. She's just so full of herself and like, I can do anything. I can beat up people too. And she had a little droid called Lola who's so cute. Um, the best part of it for me was the the last episode. The last episode was good, but a specific part in which Obi-Wan's leaving, spoilers, his fight with Darth Vader. And he goes, see you later, Darth. <laughs> oh my I God. Die. Darth. His first name, Darth see you later Darth it just felt like very dad to me and I don't think that's how they meant it but it was so funny I couldn't I couldn't deal with it and they did end the end line was hello there which was pretty funny I appreciated that they didn't bring in a lot of characters already within the uh, Star Wars universe because I'm getting sick of that happening in the Mandalorian like I really I, I'm sick of it being like, I, don't get me wrong. I love Cad Bane and I'm so excited Cad Bane is there. I have strong feelings about Ahsoka. I have strong feelings about Luke showing up. Um, but I'm just kind of like, yes, I like these characters, but I don't need to see one every single episode. And I appreciated that Obi-Wan didn't do this. Um, and yeah, I liked it. I think if you are a fan of Star Wars, specifically the prequels, um, I think you will really enjoy it. 
Um, I think it really does the prequels justice in in really keeping with the story that they told um justice for the prequels and um while still keeping that feel of the original star wars and uh yeah i really enjoyed it i wish we could have seen some flashback to satine but i knew that wasn't going to happen and i love satine so much and i wish that they would acknowledge her anytime obi-wan's around he should just be talking about how much he misses her (laughs) Um, yeah, it was good. I liked it. I, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. It was it's supposed to be a limited series where uh, just the one season, but Kathleen Kennedy has come out and said that she's not opposed to, essentially, she's not opposed to bringing it back. I don't think it needs to come back. I like, just give me the one season. I thought it was good. It told a story it needed to tell, and we're good. Unless you want to tell a story about how Satine's somehow still alive. <sighs> and she ends up being Ray's mother, or grandmother. That's what it should have been. <laughs> My last thing is I watched a movie that feels like it was made for my husband and I with the greatest premise I've ever heard. And that movie is Now You See Me, a movie about four magicians recruited to do a heist. (laughs) Unfortunately, the execution did not live up to its incredible potential. Um, It is such a good It's a really good premise. And it's the worst. This is the worst part. It's such a specific premise that I don't think you can do it again. Like, if I were to make a movie that was for magicians do a heist, people would be like, why are you remaking Now You See Me, but not saying you're remaking How You See Me? Um, so in this movie, there's all these different magicians doing magics. There's Jesse Eisenberg's character, who is uh, like a street magician. Like a, I don't, I can't remember the name. There was a magician I used to watch on TV who did this kind of thing, and I can't remember what his name was. I don't think it was David Blaine, because I think David Blaine is the guy who's like, I'm going to live in a bubble above New York City for three years. Yeah, but I think he also did street magic. Did he? Yeah, Okay. so. Then there's, I think that was his like peak, like, I still want to stay relevant. Okay, then there was I- Isla Fisher, Isla Fisher? Um, Fisher. Fisher. Miss Fisher. Miss Fisher, who, t- who does like death-defying escape artist stuff. Um, and she used to date Jesse, I- Jesse Eisenberg's character. There's Woody Harrelson's character, who's a mentalist. So he does like, quote unquote, mind reading and hypnotism. Um, and then there was the fourth character who I cannot remember his name. Um, he did like sleight of hand stuff, but he was also like a pickpocket. So it was very tricky. And they all get recruited through some weird sci-fi bullshit <laughs> to, to do a heist, basically. And they don't know who has recruited them. But um, their first big thing is they do this big show in Las Vegas and they like make it appear as though they have teleported um, an audience member into his bank in Paris to steal several million dollars, which they then release on the audience. So the audience gets a bunch of money. Um, do you know there's a second one? I do know there's a second one. Do you know the people in it? No. Daniel Rad- Radcliffe, Mark Ruffalo, Lizzie Kaplan. Mark Ruffalo was in the first one. Lizzie Kaplan? Yeah. Fuck. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman is in the first one Woody as well. Oh, okay. And then someone else I can't see. Uh, really jazzed about Lizzie Kaplan. So now you might watch I it. I might watch it just because I love Lizzie it's also Kaplan. It's originally a book. I did not. I wonder if the book's better. Uh, so they do, and like the heists, it ends up, this is a bit of a spoiler. The heists end up being like a revenge thing for some, I won't spoil everything, but it's like based on this kind of Robin Hood idea. There's a live one? What? Um, here's the thing though it wasn't very good <laughs> it was a lot of fun to watch um, but 
the they really stretched they really stretched it too far the mentalism abilities uh it wasn't really the mentalism that's the issue because like mentalism is you know you can do it it's just a matter of like reading people but the hypnotism was it was way too far were you gonna say something there is apparently a third one that is rumored to be released this year oh we shall see um the hypnotism was just a bridge too far like it it was ridiculous. I mean, hypnotism typically is. Yeah. It's, it was like, there's like hypnotism that like happens in, you know, like a, a psychiatry setting. Which I've done. Yeah. There's hypnotism in a stage setting. And then there's whatever the fuck was happening in this movie <laughs> where you can just like thump somebody in the chest and they're hypnotized. <laughs> like it was, it was outrageous. Um, and there were certain stunts that they did, like having, Isla Fisher in a bubble floating above the crowd like that was just nonsense and it was like if they had if they had shown me it was in fact an illusion it would have been fine but there was no indication that it was an illusion so I was just like are they telling me to literally believe that she's floating above the crowd because that's ridiculous um this guy the guy who did this movie he has quite an interesting amount of movies he's done including the Incredible Hulk 2008 one He's doing the new Fast and the Furious movie. He also who is did, it? Um, Louis Lettier. Oh, okay. Uh, he he did Transporter, Transporter Two, Incredible Hulk, Clash of the Titans. Um, oh boy! Also, some movie called Wix.com, big game ad for Jason Statham and Gal Gadot, <laughs> <laughs> and ten episodes of the new Dark Crystal, Lupin, The Takedown. Interesting, interesting array of movies. Yeah. So. The thing was, this movie just pushed my suspension of disbelief too far. Like, mm-hmm. it was just too much. And there was also... Okay, transphobia is just unnecessary in general, right? This contained the most outrageous and unnecessary moment of transphobia I have ever witnessed really? in a movie. What the fuck? There was this Woody Harrelson... Woody Harrelson's character, being a mentalist, reads a character and makes a very transphobic joke about the character's sex life. And it was just like, what purpose was that? Like it serves no purpose. Other, I mean, you know, Woody Harrelson's character is a dick, but it like, I don't know. It was just, it was just assholery for assholery's sake. Like it, it meant nothing. It didn't do anything. You could have substituted literally anything into its place and it would have worked probably better because it, was just it wouldn't a bad joke. Yeah, it was a terrible joke and it was super transphobic. And I just like, I'm just like, why, why even put that there? Like what purpose did that serve? And the answer is none. It was just a gross and unfunny joke. Um, Overall, I would not say this was a good movie. I think that with a better script and maybe a different director who was willing to say, actually, if we play this like realistically, this could be really fun, like a national treasure kind of thing, (laughs) because it had that vibe, right? It had that like weird mystery that's unbelievable, but still a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. It had that going for it, but then it stretched it too far like imagine if you were watching national treasure and nicholas cage just started to fly for reasons that were not explained it would be silly That's you would be wild. like you've stretched it beyond the capacity for my capacity for what i'm able to like wrap my head around yeah. and you've gone too far 
it it was like pretty far for you because you can you can like be like whatever it's a movie well the thing the thing is that like when i'm watching a movie i'm engaging with the movie on the movie's terms of reality right so on the movie's terms of reality magic as in doing magic is not doing magic right it's it's doing sleight of hand it's doing manipulation it's doing trickery like the same way that it is in our world right when you watch a stage magician you're watching special effects you're watching practical effects you're watching sleight of hand you're watching misdirection and that itself is a really amazing skill and is itself like incredible to watch you're watching somebody be incredibly good at at an art form right and this movie is based on that premise, right? Like they explain how they do the the big heist, right? Where they make it appear that somebody has robbed a bank in Paris while being physically present in Las Vegas. They explain how that's achieved. They explain this really like this trick where um, a magician in the past uh, asked a person to sign a card and then they cut down a tree in Central Park and that card is signed inside the tree encased in glass. And it's like, that's impossible. But then they explain how they did it and it's like, oh, okay, th- that was really cool, you know? And then they have Isla Fisher floating in a bubble. And I'm just like, this is outside the bounds of what you have established for me as reality. The stuff with hypnotism, I was like, I guess if that's how you want to say hypnotism works in the movie, then I'll buy it. But the combination of the hypnotism and like the floating in the bubble, I was just like, this is too much, you guys. Like you've <laughs> you've gone far beyond the the boundaries of what I'm willing to believe can happen. Um, especially when they make such like they have Morgan Freeman's character in the movie who is like a professional magician debunker. Like he hmm. his whole thing is to make like these short or like these documentaries about like, here's how they achieved this particular trick. Um, that character is there and he's not bothering to explain how Isla Fisher was floating in a bubble. Um, it's just like, if they had taken the time to show me how that was achieved, then I might not have been like, that was way too much. That was too goofy. That being said, now that I know Lizzie Kaplan's in the second one, I might have to watch it. Um, it will probably be, I think it it got worse reviews, so it might be worse than the first one. Um, I didn't, I had a fun time watching most of the movie. I did fall asleep at the end because the movie was too long. Uh, and also there was a really unnecessary love story. Like one of the least necessary love stories I've ever seen in anything. Um, oh, the movie, fo- sorry, I forgot to mention this the movie follows Mark Ruffalo. Who's trying to stop them from doing more heists. Um, the, the movie is ostensibly about Mark Ruffalo's character. It's not even about the magicians. Um, but, uh, the, yeah, I, the the romance started happening. And I just fell asleep because I was like, I, I, a, I'm tired, and b, I don't care about this <laughs> at all. Um, but I don't know. Maybe I'll watch the second one. Maybe it'll be fun. Maybe it won't have a horrible transphobic joke in the beginning for absolutely no reason. Um, people think that's easy joking. God, it was like, why do so many comics love those jokes? And it's always like the same. It's three. literally the same joke. <laughs> it's so bad like I don't understand like you're just saying the same things and it's not funny it's not funny um in this it wasn't funny in this case like it was not clever it was just like oh some people and it wasn't the thing was it's like they the thing was they use a transphobic slur to make a joke about this man's sexual preferences um and I'm like you're wrong and that's a bad joke like Listen, I don't know when this movie came out. <laughs> it could have been 2013. 2013. Uh, you know, even in 2013, surely we were aware that like 
people like to do different things in the bedroom and that's fine come on whatever i forgot to have another thing if that's the worst if the worst thing you can come up with is that a man likes to wear ladies clothing in the bedroom <laughs> at least he's getting some are you yeah, woody are harrelson's you? character because keeping it fresh in the bedroom yeah he's keeping it spicy what's woody harrelson doing nothing nobody likes him because he's gross and weird his character. I don't really know anything about Woody Harrelson as a person. Um, he goes on like the, the um, Joe Rogan podcast all the time, and mm. like not all the time. There's a lot of. I'm pretty sure it's him. There's a lot of um, clips of him there where he's just smoking a giant cigar. But he does spend most of the time roasting him. And I believe that <laughs> and saying he's like a gorilla. His arms are always dragging on the floor and things like that. <laughs> Um, but like it's it's like in a mutual kind of way. So right. like he's roasting him, but also like he's on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I think that's common of like, I don't know how I feel. Yeah. Um, I forgot that I actually um have another thing that uh I really want to talk about. I read the book Sellout by Dan Ozzy, which is a story of multiple different uh late 90s, early to mid 2000 pop punk hardcore post-hardcore no i don't think they post-hardcore um emo bands and they're the beginnings up until when they signed to a major label so the bands included are i got the list so i can say it all uh it starts with green day then jawbreaker jimmy world blink 182 at the drive-in the donna's thursday the distillers my chemical romance rise against and against me and it was a really really good book if you like that music or like like Missy and I like totally grew up in that type of like scene of where a lot of these bands are bands that we listen to. Um, it's really, really good. Some of the stories are really sad. Like the Jawbreaker story is really sad. You see this really this trend of like the late 90s, early 2000s of like you can't sell out. Uh, selling out is the worst thing you can do. And something Jawbreaker did was like, we'll never be like Green Day and we'll never sign to a major major label. Don't worry. They like played a, a show with um, Nirvana and all their fans got pissed off thinking that they were going to sign to a major label. He's like, I will never sign to a major label. He signed to a major label literally for money. Like that's what it, the way that it was. The story was told was my friends have big houses and I'm still struggling. <laughs> and I was like, you kind of like not saying that you deserve to be like, oh, sellouts like and have things literally thrown at you but also like you literally sold out for money instead of like anti-flag who's who quote-unquote sold out but they're the same like they're, they're just they did it to get their message further mm -hmm. <laughs> um and then like the story at the drive-in story is really sad they were like slated to be like the biggest thing in music i mean just absolutely amazing um they are really good um but they were dysfunctional. Um, one of the things that they talked about is they really hated crowd surfing and like mosh pits and things like that and just like violence essentially. And um, they would get really mad when people would do it, like stop shows, which I understand. They at one point they played a show in uh, they played a festival in um, Australia where all the all the fans from the Limp Bizkit part where it came to theirs because everybody heard that they're just an amazing live band live like the, them live is the way to experience them and um well, the Limp Bizkit fans are violent um and he got the lead singer got super pissed off because he's like our fans are 
women and weaklings and you're hurting them like you're literally hurting them you need to stop and they ended up just they played like two or three songs and they left um and i thought and i agree like violence isn't great and there's definitely that mentality that riot girl mentality of like women to the front um but also like they're just going they're going wild on stage and like i don't know it feels like that's going to like push a crowd into going wild in the crowd too i don't i don't i'm not a huge fan of crowd surfers but they don't bother me as much as i think they bother other people i'm also really short so <laughs> they never <laughs> kick my head they literally go right over your <laughs> they head they just go right over my head i i don't like mosh pits don't bother me at all i actually think like it's fun um but i know people can get really violent um and that's not cool so their story was really interesting um the one complaint that i did have was when he was telling the story of the distillers and okay first of all if you're familiar at all with the distillers so is who's headed by brody dale who was married to tim armstrong of um rancid um and yeah, he started pursuing her when she was 17. And he was like in, I think he's like 15 years older than her. And when they broke up, like she just like, I think she, she did like, it's like we're getting divorced over the phone. She was still really young. And in the interview she did, she's like, I was a kid. I was just a fucking kid. Like essentially like you can't get mad at him. And he was super controlling. No one was allowed to drink or do drugs. And like, I think there's a mention of like, who they hang out with and loyalty was a big deal and she felt trapped um she ended up marrying the guy from queens of the stone age and uh, unfortunately got addicted to meth um Jeez. yeah it was her story was it was really sad and then when she started doing some more experimental things people were like you're selling out you're not like you know this cool punk rock girl anymore and it's essentially the same story of like i guess musicians aren't allowed to evolve um and that's what she wanted to do so allow her to do it um, but what I didn't like about it is I spent a, he spent a really long time talking about Rancid and, and what's his name. And I'm like, this is the story of distillers. Mm-hmm. And if you have that much to say about Rancid, maybe they should have got their own chapter. Yeah. Um, I feel like half the chapter was talking and like, that's a big part of her story. Right. But it's not, I don't think it deserved as much time on it as it did get. Um, but I, everything else was super good. I was surprised to see the Donnas in there, but their story was really interesting. They essentially made a joke band called the Donnas um, and like created this whole story within their actual band of them being like fake rivals. But people ended up liking the Donnas more. Then they had the problem of like grown men waiting outside for them. And they were like 19 <laughs> and like just being super creepy. And, and they got screwed by their record label and like a lot of these bands having to um, – just evolve into the new world of like music downloads and how some were able to do it and some weren't. Something I noticed that I was like, fuck everyone I grew up with who was rude about this. So many of these bands that got popular, a common thread was women liked them. Mm-hmm. And what pisses me, what, why I say that is because I think there's so much of this idea that a lot of these like emo bands are just like, boy bands because girls like them and that pisses me off because just because girls like them doesn't mean we need to push them into this boy band situation when like you find out one of the things that made um blink 182 and green day so like popular and like uh was really their fan base was women and it just makes me so mad when i hear like i like this one this uh punk rock mba who does a podcast uh, or youtube show i think he does a podcast and youtube show about a lot of this music where he like um breaks down a lot of different things and he calls a lot of those like um emo bands that a lot of women like um 
boy bands with breakdowns, which I like. I like that idea. I think that's hilarious. But I also don't like it because I'm like, why are they specifically boy bands with breakdowns? Because a lot of women like them. Mm-hmm. And that like rubs me the wrong way. And so when I hear that a lot of these other bands who are typically seen as like, dude bands actually had a lot of women even like at the drive-in had a lot of women there it just it's just just like fuck everyone (laughs) who was like just because girls like this is like only women like this this music and only women like this band and it's very self-conscious like you can tell there's this uh this fear of embracing something that is associated with women so they have to say boy bands with breakdown so that they can feel better about it yeah I think it's a hilarious term but at the same time I don't like it yeah um because of the connotation of it because women like it and I think there's so much more that goes into women liking specific bands than just how they sound Mm -hmm. it's the safety that they're given it's the access that they're given um and it has so much more to do with the ability, in my opinion, it has a lot to do with the ability to see the bands and feel safe as much as it does the sound. Because I don't want to go to a place where I feel unsafe. Yeah. And a lot of these like hardcore shows, women didn't feel safe, which is like why like Riot Girl came pop became popular of like women to the front. And I think while at the drive-in was so adamant about that. Um but it was really, really good. If you like any of that music, I highly suggest the book. I devoured it and I hope he makes a new one. Nice. Well, that's it for this episode. You can find us online at fakeygirlscast.com, which has all of our previous episodes and a link to our Patreon, where for a small donation per episode, you can get cool rewards. Um, thank you to Emily June for helping me out with the big project. Uh, I don't have any up yet, so I'm not going to say what it is yet. <laughs> but when I do, I will. Um, if you like us, consider leaving us a review on your podcast service of choice. Um it's nice. That's all I have to say it's about kind. it. It's kind. It's nice. I like it. Uh, next time we're going to be talking about pushing daisies. I cannot fucking wait. Cannot it's going to be a good discussion. Wait. I cannot wait. There's um, a lot to talk about. There is a lot to talk about. And I'm really excited with like some of the things I've learned that Brian Fuller has talked about after the show has come out. Um, I'm excited to bring that into like my reading of the show. Um, after that, we're going to be doing What We Do in the Shadows. Also, very excited. This How many seasons of that are there? There are three. And, okay. But the thing is, they're half-hour episodes. You can watch the entire show in 10 hours. Okay. So. Because I was trying to really get Pushing Daisies done so I could, because I knew there was multiple. Of, yeah. And I knew the second season Pushing Daisies is longer than the first. Our So our What We Do in the Shadows episode is going to come out, come out right around when season four of What We Do in the Shadows oh, starts. Oh, okay. Um. So, because it, it starts up again July 12th, and I think this is going to come out the third week of July or something. Or maybe we were recording the third week of July. It might actually be later, but whatever. Um, uh, yeah, there's three seasons, but they're half-hour episodes, and there's only, like, 12 episodes a season or cool. something. Plus the movie, which is, like, maybe two hours. Um, yeah, that's it. Cool. Catch you on the flip side. Woo! <laughs>